Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I want to remind you that the Tennessee Baptist Convention is taking place at Bellevue Baptist Church, and tonight there is a big, huge, humongous worship service there. And the Bellevue Choir and Orchestra is leading in worship, and Brother Bob Pittman is preaching tonight at Bellevue Baptist Church at 6 o'clock. So I want to encourage you, as many of you as want to or can go and, and be a part of that gigantic worship service tonight. Now, as you, you know, we're in a series of sermons entitled Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. We're going verse by verse through Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11. This is a section of the Bible that is absolutely rich in doctrinal and practical truth. And I would say that we need a dose of truth in our twisted world today, don't we? Amen. We need to, to know the truth, we need to live the truth, and we need to preach and teach the truth. You know, when you, you think about it, you ask yourself, how did things get so bad in our world? I mean, you've got to remember that God created a perfect world. He designed a perfect world where everything was designed to work together in perfect harmony. God himself described his creation as good. And then at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, he described it as being very good. So he created Adam and Eve. And he put them in this perfect world. And he put them in this idyllic place called the Garden of Eden. You've heard about it all your life. They had a perfect relationship with each other. And with the Creator God, it was like having a piece of heaven on earth there in the very beginning. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no sorrow. There was no pain. There was no crime. There was no abuse. There was no frustration. There were no marriage squabbles. There were no natural disasters. Everything was absolutely pristine and perfect it was truly paradise that's the narrative that God's word presents to us in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 but it, again it begs the question what happened why would a wealthy executive get involved in a crooked deal why would a guy with a beautiful wife and family have an affair why would a sharp teenager with a, a world of promise, why would that teenager get involved with drugs or alcohol? Why would a, a respected leader in the community molest a child or a teenager? Why do we lose our temper? Why do we talk about others? Why do we look at porn? Why do we become addicted to alcohol and drugs? Why do we find it so hard to love people and to forgive people who hurt us? If you really want to know what happened to the world, then go to Genesis chapter 3. In fact, I want you to take your Bible and open up to Genesis chapter 3. Today we're going to look at, at verses 20 through 24. Now, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden in a perfect world, 
He gave them one restriction. He said, do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, guess what happened? Satan showed up in paradise. And he began to tempt Eve. And he called into question God's word and God's love. And Eve was deceived and she took a a piece of fruit from the one tree God told them not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She took it and, and she took a big bite of it and then she gave that fruit to Adam and he took a bite. With that one act of disobedience to God, the perfect world became a fallen, evil world. God is holy and just, and he must punish sin. So he acted quickly. He judged Satan, he judged Eve, and he judged Adam. And so we pick up in verse 20 of our text in chapter 3. And in this text today, we're going to look at the final moments of what it was like in the Garden of Eden. What was it like in paradise in those final hours before paradise was closed? Well, number one, I want you to see the response of faith. Look at verse 20. Now the man, that's Adam, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now prior to this, Eve had not received her name. She was called woman. She was called a helper. She was called several different things, but she did not receive her official name until this point in time. And and Adam named his wife, and he called her Eve, which means, it literally means in the Hebrew, living or life. Living or life. Now, keep in mind that God had just pronounced upon Adam and Eve a sentence of death. He said, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And yet, here is Adam naming his wife life or living. Not not the mother of the dying, but the mother of the living. Now, he, he also declared that the woman's seed would crush the head of Satan. That's what God promised. And and he said that Satan would crush the heel of the seed of the woman. Galatians 3.15, listen to it. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God's judgment on Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel, on the heel. Now take your Bible, look at Isaiah 53 just a moment. I want you to see a a prophecy that was fulfilled over here in the book of Isaiah. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he, that's the coming Messiah, that's Jesus, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on on him, and by his scourging, we were healed. We were healed. 
Look at verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, right there, Isaiah says that Satan is going to bruise the heel of the coming Messiah by, by having him die on the cross. That's the bruising of the heel. But the Bible says that God said to Satan, but he's going to bruise you on the head. He's going to crush your head, Satan. And that's exactly what happened. Well, I want you to see that there's only one explanation for Adam naming his wife Eve, which means life or living. And that is that he exercised faith in God and faith in his word. He really believed that what God had said here in, in, Galatians, in Genesis chapter 3 is exactly what would happen. That she would have a seed. How could she have a seed if she didn't have babies, right? And he believed God. He believed that they were going to live. And he believed that, that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. Let me ask you a question. Have you blown it? Are you going to give up and make excuses? Are you going to blame other people? Are you going to wallow in self-pity? You know, when you blow it the way Adam blew it and Eve blew it, you just need to face the music. You need to just admit to God, I have blown it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we need to understand that when we blow it the way Adam and Eve blew it, then we offend God. Sin is an offense against God. But when we blow it, normally there are ripple effects and we end up offending other people or hurting other people, even ones that we love. I urge you today, I urge you today, deal with your problem. Deal with the fact that you've blown it. Get right with God. Turn to God in faith. His word is loaded with promises that will ensure that you can have a much better life than you deserve. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, Jeremiah wrote, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. I want you to know that if you fail, it doesn't have to be final. God can lift you up out of the muck and mire of your sin and give you a fresh start in life. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God always responds to genuine active faith on our part. This is the moment. This is the moment for you right here today is the moment for you to put your faith in God. It's time for you to move forward beyond your failure and to have victory that God wants you to have. Believe in God and believe in his word. But the second thing we see in our text today is not only the response of faith, but we see the grace of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve 
and clothed them. Now remember what Adam and Eve had done. When they realized that they had sinned against God, they were so ashamed of themselves. And even though they had never had a stitch of clothes on during their entire existence from the time God created them, the minute they sinned against God, they were ashamed of their nakedness. And instead of running to God, they ran away from God. That's what sin does to us. And, and they, they said, okay, we've got to do something about our nakedness. So they took fig leaves and they sewed together fig leaves. Now, have you ever touched a fig leaf? I wouldn't want a fig leaf on the tenderest part of my body. I promise you that. Now, the problem about fig leaves, they're only temporary covering. You know why? Because they dry out. And when they dry out, what do they do? They crumble. And then you have to start all over again and all over again. It's not a fix for your problem. I trust you. Listen, trust me in that. Now, since the time of Adam and Eve, men and women have constantly been trying to cover up their sins instead of doing it God's way. They've tried good works. Well, if I just do enough good works, surely it will cover my sins. It's only fig leaves. Or religion, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll go to church two out of every four Sundays. Surely religion will cover my sins. It's only fig leaves. Or I've heard this, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, pastor. I'll quit losing my temper. I'll quit being dishonest. I'll quit gambling. That will surely impress God, and it will cover my sin. It's only fig leaves. It's a cover-up. It's not a covering for sins. I want you to understand that there are only two religions in the world, just two, just two. It's the religion of human achievement, and the religion of divine accomplishment. Every religion in the world, I don't care what, what religion it is, every religion in the world falls into one of those categories. Human achievement or divine accomplishment. I, I've heard it said a picture is worth a thousand words. Have you heard that saying before? I want you to know right here in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 21, God presents one of the most profound pictures in all of the Bible. Since only God could deal with the sin of Adam and Eve in a redemptive way, he had to do something about their sin. He had to find a way to forgive their sin and to cleanse their sins. You know what God did? I can just picture it happening. God brings Adam and Eve together. And God comes to them, and God takes two animals, probably two lambs, and, and God slays these lambs. Do you realize that prior to this, there had never been a death in the world that God had created, no death whatsoever? And yet God brought Adam and Eve, these two sinners, these two disobedient rebels who who disobeyed him and they brought, he brought them and he killed two animals, in, one for each one of them. And can you imagine the horror of Adam and Eve as they, as they looked at their first experience of death? 
as those little lambs bled out. Can you imagine what they were feeling in their own hearts? I'm sure they were saddened. I'm sure they were mortified. Because they knew that those lambs were dying for them in their place. You see, the Bible said it's true of God from the very beginning. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness if there's not shedding of blood. So right here, God demonstrates something that's very important. He demonstrates that one lamb can die for a person. And then when you get over to the book of Exodus in the Passover, then God tells the children of Israel, look, I want every family to get a lamb, a perfect lamb, and I want you to slay that lamb on the Passover night, and I want you to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the the lentils and the doorpost. You know what God was demonstrating? A lamb can die for a family. And then fast forward, when Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God gave him the law. And in that law, God described for Moses how the religion of Judaism would play out. He said, look, I I want you to understand that one time a year on the Day of Atonement, I want the high priest to take a perfect lamb and I want that high priest to, to slit the throat of that lamb, catch the blood. And I want that high priest on the Day of Atonement, only on the Day of Atonement, to go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat. And God was demonstrating that one lamb could die for a nation. And then fast forward again. When you come to John the Baptist in the New Testament, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, coming. And he points to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you got a lamb dying for an individual. you got a lamb dying for a family, a lamb dying for a nation, and finally a lamb dying for the world. And the lamb was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a picture God plants right here in Genesis chapter 3. Now I want you to understand that this is a picture of the substitutionary blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know it was not enough for Jesus to be incarnated. It was not enough for Jesus to preach the Sermon on the Mount. It was not enough for Jesus to walk on water. It was not enough for Jesus to heal lepers. It was not enough for Jesus to cause a a blind man to see. It was not enough for Jesus to cause a lame man to walk. That was not enough to take care of the sin of the human race, your sin and my sin. Jesus had to go to the cross of Calvary. Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus had to shed his redeeming blood on the cross of Calvary in order for our sins to be forgiven and to be separated from us as far as the east is from the west. With this idea of the substitutionary blood atonement of Jesus, 
The New Testament makes it clear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says he made him, that's God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's substitutionary atonement. In 1 Peter 2, 24, the Bible says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore whose sins? Our sins. Jesus had no sin. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. You see, God offers his matchless, infinite, undeserved grace to you and me through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he will clothe you with a robe of righteousness. He will forgive every sin and remove it from you as far as the east is from the west. That's good news, isn't it? In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, Isaiah wrote, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. My friend, we don't need fig leaves. We need to be wrapped in a robe of righteousness that only the Lord Jesus Christ can give to us because he shed his blood for us on the cross of Calvary. I ask you today, has Jesus wrapped you in a robe of righteousness? Has he? Are you sure of that? All right, we've seen the response of faith and the grace of God. Now I want you to see, number three, the results of sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life. Remember, there were two trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of life and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, whatever happens, we do not allow Adam and Eve to take from the tree of life. Because they do, they will eat and live forever, the Bible says. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Now, if Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life after they had sinned against God, they would have lived forever in their sinful state with absolutely no hope of redemption, none. I want you to see that God judges our sins. Whether our names are Adam and Eve or whether our name is Chuck or, or Fred or whatever our name is, God judges sin. God is a holy and righteous God. Isaiah describes a seraphim who, who surround God and, and who worship God and they cry out continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we just sang about the holiness of God. Well, he is holy. And when we sin against him, it offends God. I've often said, if we please Jesus, it doesn't matter who we displease. But if we displease Jesus, it doesn't matter 
who we please. Listen, I want you to understand the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was God's will that Adam and Eve died. Now, they didn't die immediately. In fact, Adam and Eve lived to be 900 and something years old. I mean, they lived a long time, but they did die. It was not God's will that they live forever in a sinful state. Notice this, God expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Paradise was lost. In Genesis 3, 24, the Bible says, and he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, the cherubim in the Bible are a particular class of angels who seem to have the responsibility to guard the throne of God and to guard the holiness of God. The figures of these angelic cherubim were embroidered on the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle. They were also placed on either end of the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. You remember that? There was a golden cherubim, cherubim on one end and a golden cherubim on the other end. And they were there picturing the holiness of God. Now, the truth that reverberates through all this is simple. Sin separates us from God. You do know that, don't you? It separates us from God. In Isaiah 59, 2, the Bible says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, the cherubim were stationed there in the Garden of Eden to say this. You can't come to God on your own. You must come to God his way, or you can't come at all. Now understand this, never again in human history did a person ever step foot in the Garden of Eden. Never again. In fact, the Garden of Eden was destroyed in Noah's flood. Paradise was lost. But here's the truth I want you to see as we wrap up our time today. Jesus has opened the door to paradise again. He's opened it up again. I want you to hear the word of God. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, the Bible says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? You remember? That thief turned to Jesus. He was dying. Jesus was dying. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today, you will be with me where? In paradise. 
Jesus has reopened paradise. Only Jesus could reopen paradise. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was, look, get this now, the tree of life. The tree of life was taken by God from the Garden of Eden and transplanted into the glory of heaven. It bears fruit, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. There will no longer be any curse in the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. Let the message ring out loud and clear from this church and every Bible-believing church. Let all sinners come. Let the failures come. Let the wretched come. Let the rejected come. Let the adulterers come. Let the homosexuals come. Let the Liars come. Let those who have had abortions come. Paradise is open. Jesus has opened paradise. But we can't get into paradise on our own. We can't make it up as we go. We, there's only one way to get into paradise. That's the way Jesus has designed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You can't come to paradise by the way of human achievement. You must come by the way of divine accomplishment. I encourage you, don't wait another moment. Jesus has opened the door to paradise. Believe in him with all your heart. Trust him as your Savior and your Lord. And one day you can eat from the tree of life in the glory of heaven. I look forward to that, do you? Hey, would you bow your head for just a moment? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've blown it. I've blown it big time. And you spent so much time and effort trying to cover up for yourself. You're trying to use fig leaves when you need the covering that only God could provide. I would imagine that every time Adam and Eve put on those clothes that God had formed out of the skins of those animals, they would remember, hey, that lamb died for me. That lamb shed his blood for me. Every time they put it on, they realized that they were saved by grace, the grace of God. And I want to encourage you today, put away the fig leaves. They're no good. They'll just scratch you and hurt you. Put them away. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who has opened a new and living way into paradise through his own blood Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Don't, don't try to make religion your God. Don't try to make good works your, your goal. That will not do it with God. You must come God's way, and God's way is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I invite you to come. I'm going to ask our, our staff and our worship team to come now, heads bowed, eyes closed. Oh, would you just be asking God right now, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Maybe you're here today and, and you need to be saved. You need to come and repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. Come to one of our staff members. We'll be glad to help you. Maybe you have some severe burdens going on in your life. And you just want somebody to pray for you. Come to one of our staff members. We'll pray for you. We'll minister to you. Or maybe you just want to come to the altar and just pray. You come. Maybe you need to join the church. Your church membership is not here and you feel like God's leading you here. You come and you can join the church today. Just come to one of our staff members. I want to pray for you. and Then we're going to stand and worship. And I want you to, to do exactly what God tells you to do today. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to depend on fig leaves to cover up our sin. Thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary, to shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven once and for all. And I pray that through the Spirit's ministry, you would call men, women, boys, and girls to repent and believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that today, today Lord, that people will, will, will get their ticket punched for paradise by believing in Jesus. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.